and there'd be no problem with, with their giving it to me as a birthday present. I was not supposed to know this, but the deal was sealed. Seven years and it would be mine. That didn't seem so far away. I'd be going to Netherfield Secondary School in a matter of months, and when that was over, it would be well in sight. Chapter 5 Oracles and Demons, 1964. Time passed. I'd been at Netherfield School for 12 months and was about to begin my second year. The White Lady, or Tara, re-emerged not long after I found myself in a co-educational environment. The presence of girls was an explosive experience, albeit indefinable and intangible. I found them somewhat hypnotic, in the way they moved and carried themselves. I'd obviously seen girls at infant school, but somehow my years at an all-boys primary had made them seem distant. I'd also seen girls outside the primary school environment, but always at something of a distance. It had not been possible simply to sit and hear them talking to each other. It had never seemed possible to talk with girls as they wandered round Farnham or Aldershot because one didn't just walk up to people and start talking. That was unheard of in the 1950s. I had missed Tara, almost without knowing that I missed her. I only knew that I had missed her when she reappeared. I missed Alice too. In some strange way, the White Lady, Alice and Frigg had merged into White Tara. When she reappeared, I realised that she had been there all the time, in the background, as an indefinable feeling tone. It was not possible to see or hear anything without being in her presence. And yet it was subliminal, something known without knowing that I knew it. Now she was back and I was both happy and bemused as to what part she might play for me as an aspiring bluesman. Much to the contempt of the boys, I made friends with most of the girls at school, particularly Lindsay Golding. Romance, however, was the last thing on my mind. It was more the fact that the girls were interested in poetry and art, and the boys were not. The girls would talk about art, nature and anything interesting. The boys seemed to be the same fine young lower primate sport enthusiasts I'd found at primary school. I tolerated them as best I could and tried to be friendly. Girls had fascinated me from my earliest years, 
maybe because of the White Lady. The White Lady had, in some oblique way, appeared through Alice Trevelyan. Not that I ever thought that Alice was the White Lady, but there was a sense in which the, she inspirationally represented the White Lady as an adventitious poetic ambassador. One night, I remembered the time that the White Lady had mysteriously taken me to Switzerland. I knew it wasn't Switzerland, but I had no idea where it was until I'd seen those photographs of Tibet at West Street Junior School. There were the two girls in that mountainous landscape who had seemed so incredibly familiar. I'd felt as if I should have known who they were. At one time, I'd felt I might meet them in Farnham or Aldershot, but it had been a long time since I'd entertained such imponderable impossibilities. Meeting people seen in dreams was not something you could expect to happen unless you were insane. The fact remained, however, that it had felt extremely real. Walking in those mountains in the rhapsodic company of... Who were they? There was nothing I could do with such a question. It just had to sit there at the back of my mind, whilst I pondered blues with the front of my mind. At the start of the second year, an idea emerged. It was vague at first, flittering like a burlesque bat in the tonal ballet of twilight, barely within concept range. I remembered Mr Love and our many conversations about blues. I remembered him telling me about a special place a person could go to become a great blues musician. It was The Crossroads. The Crossroads was the place you could meet Papa Legba. All you had to do, according to blues folklore, was go to a crossroads at midnight. You'd have to sit there with your guitar You'd have to play something, or at least sing something. And a large black man dressed like Abraham Lincoln would come along. He'd put out his hand, gesture for you to pass your guitar over. You'd hand him your guitar, he'd tune it and pass it back. You'd then play like Robert Johnson. That was how it could be. Well, eventually, when I finally got a real guitar. There were a few questions that troubled me. Was it all right for a Buddhist to have dealings with an African spirit? Having read the books on Tibet at junior school and partially recognised Tara as the White Lady, the fact that I was a Buddhist was something that had simply happened by itself. There was no moment when it had become apparent 
I had not arrived at my conversion by any process of thought. It was more a recognition of what I was and what I had always been. So, as a Buddhist, I wanted to know whether there was a difference between the oracles used in Tibet and Papa Legba. Was Papa Legba a Jigten Srungma? I'd tried to read about these beings and oracles in a book by René de Nebeski Roshkovitz. The book was called Oracles and Demons of Tibet. I'd found that book in Farnham Library. Why did René de Nebeski Roshkovitz have to write in such dense and complex manner? The book was a horribly turgid read. I had to plough my way through almost 700 pages without really understanding a great deal. Other than, A. There are lamas who were able to summon beings, and having summoned them, the lama had the power to make demands of them. And B. There were people, mainly monks, who could act as mediums. Their bodies were possessed by so-called demons who'd speak through them. Right. Well, I wasn't up for being possessed by anything or anyone. But a simple favour might not be out of the question. That was Papa Legpa's stock in trade when all was said and done. He surely liked people playing blues. And why not open a franchise in Britain? It all started sounding perfectly reasonable to me, and I considered that it was fair enough to take my chance with Papa Legba. There were some other writings by René de Nevesky-Roshkovitz in journals that I ordered through Farnham Library, much to the astonished disbelief of the librarian. What does a 12-year-old boy want with anthropological articles from erudite ethnographic journals? I looked sheepish. It's for a school essay, I lied. I returned them all after two weeks without renewing them because they were just too academically dense to comprehend. One book, however, seemed more accessible and humane than the others. It was called Where the Gods Are Mountains and I devoured it voraciously. There was no one I could ask as to whether my plan was feasible for a Buddhist or not. I decided to rush in like a fool where angels feared to cycle. But would Papa Legpa show up? for a plastic guitar? Could my prospective demonic assignation occur at any crossroads, anywhere? Could it be an English crossroads? I didn't know the answer to these questions. Lacking a local hoodoo man or hoodoo woman with whom I could inquire, it was all down to me. 
I rather feared it would have to be a crossroads in Mississippi somewhere. Probably somewhere obscure, down the southern end of Highway 61. If that was the case, however, there wasn't a hope in hell I'd meet Papa Ledba. Nothing to do but give it a try. There was a crossroads down at Runfold, just past Badshot Lee. It wasn't Mississippi, but there were open fields. They spread out in all four quadrants of the crossroads, just as I had in mind from my conversations with Mr Love. Mr Love, because I'd asked him, painted a picture in words as to how the crossroads might appear. Mississippi is flat and the fields have no boundaries with roads, it said. So maybe this likeness was a point in favour of Runfold. Runfold lies on the Pilgrim's Way, an ancient track, and so it had some kind of magic about it. I went down to the crossroads after school to check it out. Runfold was indeed as flat as anything realistically could be. The fields were unfenced around the crossroads, just as I'd remembered. It was in the obscure outskirts of Farnham in 1964. I'd known it vaguely from having once cycled up onto the Hogsback, the long hilltop roads to Guildford. Runfold was as balefully bucolic as a Brussels sprout. So the Runfold crossroads would have to be the place. But would Papa Legpa deign to appear for a white English boy with a plastic guitar? Maybe. Maybe not. But I wasn't the run-of-the-mill white boy, was I? No. Not by any means. I was a bluesman and had been since the age of eight. Well, that was how I saw it. I could still sing those songs I'd learned from Mr Love. I was, moreover, in line for a Gibson EBO bass and Vox amplifier on my 18th birthday. A mere six years.